You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. You know, if you really think about it, we've gone from the smallest government in world history to the largest government in world history in a shockingly short amount of time. And during this short time, we've seen individual freedom and civil liberties decimated in the wake of the state's never-ending quest for more and more control. Democrats, Republicans, both are to blame. This show isn't about picking sides. It's about returning power to its rightful owner, the individual. Welcome to Freedom Strips on the We Are Libertarians Network. Well, hello and welcome back to a brand new episode of Freedom Strips. I'm back. I'm alive. We're back on the air. I've got Matt Bell in the virtual studio with me here. Um, That's right. Yes. So I took a hiatus for a couple months. I was trying to decide what I wanted to do with the show. I was like, I, I want to do something new. We, we did we did pretty well. Um, so I took a break trying to decide, come up with some different ideas. A lot has happened. <laughs> we, we're going through a global pandemic. Kobe Bryant died. We, we're spending trillions of dollars. And we're only three, like three or four months, four months into the year now. 2020 has been a roller coaster. We're not even halfway through. Um, but... Exciting news. Uh, as you may hear in the new intro, I got picked up by the We Are Libertarians Network, which was pretty neat. So uh, Chris Spangle contacted me. He's the head of the We Are Libertarians Network. And he said, hey, uh, would you be interested in kind of doing like a little partnership? Uh, we can help you help you get more people uh, listening to your show. Uh, also, we're trying to expand our network and we'd just love to have you on. It's not like a huge partnership but i was more than happy to to join them and and uh have their help in expanding the show so thank you to them if you haven't listened to them yet go ahead and check out the uh we are libertarians podcast they got a bunch of different shows connected to them they're a great group uh over there but let's go ahead and dive in to our topics here so matt First thing, obviously, we got to talk about is coronavirus. What are you seeing in your neck of the woods with with all this mess? First of all, it's impossible to hear the words coronavirus without me hearing Cardi B in my head. Coronavirus. <laughs> yeah. This, it's, I'll literally be running some days, and it's it's like every time somebody coughs in public, now I'm like coronavirus. <laughs> it's just that's an unfortunate uh, tick that you have in your head now. <laughs> I know. <laughs> The, the the most uncomfortable I've been in a very long time. I went to Lowe's the other day. I broke broke quarantine because there's only so many things you can do at the house. Lowe's is supposed to be uh, essential because it's got plumbing and whatnot. So they they made it an essential business. So I was like, I'm going to build a shed. You know, I'm going to build a shed in my yard. And so I go out and I'm in I'm in the line and there's like this waiting. There's only so many people that they allow into Lowe's and the police are out front like policing how many people can go into the store. And so they're you know they're only letting so many people in. I finally get to like the very front and dude, I got to sneeze so bad <laughs> oh or 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 cough and all I could think dude, I had a mask on and all I could think was I'm about to about to blow snot into this mask 
And I don't think it's coronavirus. I think it's allergies, but I don't want to do it. And so I was doing everything in my power not to sneeze. And I, I looked like I was having a seizure because <laughs> like, <laughs> I was outside. And every time I would look at the sun, it was like, huh, huh? Oh, no, hold it. Oh, and it just would burn your nose. And I was thinking to myself, man, I remember the times when you could just cough in public and everyone would be like, nah, no big deal. But now it's like you cough in public yeah. and everyone's like, people, <laughs> <the virus. laughs> people draw guns on you in public and start sneezing like, no. around you. You get out of here, sir. No, this is a terrible point, point in time where with people that have uh, bad allergies are having a rough time. Oh my with gosh! This. Well, it's middle Georgia. It is so bad. Like it is. It's the worst place I've ever lived as far as allergies go. I mean, the pine trees. You know, that's moonlight through the pine. It's like we got the pine trees. Probably. Oh yeah. And those things throw some yellow pollen. That I mean, there's a there's a month and a half here where it's it's absurd. Like you can. Like cars look like they've got yellow snow on yeah. them, and it's just it's just pollen. So, anyways, I guess the uh, the that's the that's the anecdotal story to tell you. Like I'm alive. Like we're we're hanging in there. We had some uh, cases in South Georgia. Um, we've got some cases here in Middle Georgia, but the, I think the big ones were down in Albany. And um, somebody had a funeral or something going on, and they decided to all get sweaty and dance and drink and have something like that. It was some festival of, of sorts. And so a lot of people got it. And, um, I, you know, my biggest fear is always, and this is going to sound super libertarian, but my biggest fear is always like, Oh no, what's the government going to do? Like, and especially being, you know, a business owner, your, your biggest fear is I can handle, you know, I can handle threats that are outside of your business. But once there's an entity that can get inside of your business and reach into your pockets, then it's, you, you know, fear that because <laughs> coronavirus can have an impact for sure, but the government legislating things can have a much larger impact. And so, um, it's, it's been fine, you know, to be perfectly honest. I mean, it, 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 it everybody's mostly afraid if, yeah. if, if coronavirus is, on a, for me personally, and this isn't me belittling suffering in New York or New Orleans and things like that. But for me personally, I, I would say on a suffering scale, it's been a two out of 10, mm-hmm. you know, like it really, it really hasn't, hasn't been anything. And, and two is only because I can't go to restaurants. So like, that's not a real problem. It's yeah. just, you know, whatever. But fear Fear has been like an eight or nine out of 10 because everybody is freaking out. And this is going to be a wildly unpopular opinion, but I hate seeing people post on social media about how I should stay inside. Yeah. And I don't mean yeah. me, they don't say me personally, but it's like, you know, like, oh, here's an open letter from an ICU nurse. And I'm like, listen, if I'm not going to listen to the Surgeon General, <laughs> I'm definitely not going to listen to an ICU nurse from Birmingham. You know, right. like... Well, it, like, I don't it, know. I've been kind of going through the same thing here. Like I, I've been blessed enough to still have a job, still collect a paycheck. And I get that like a lot of people, I mean, the unemployment numbers are unbelievable. Um, I mean, they, they just released new numbers a couple of days ago where it was upwards of over 10 million applying for unemployment insurance. That's just unemployment insurance. They said the actual total unemployment number is much higher, much possibly closer to, uh, 20 to over 20 million uh, of the actual unemployment numbers. This, this kind of, 
this unbelievable economic collapse that we've had from this thing is something that has never happened in the history of the, especially the United States. I don't know if anything like this has ever happened in the history of the world. Well, it hasn't really, it really hasn't not to this level. There's never been an economic collapse quite like this. Um, now this, this COVID-19, I think it's, 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 beneficial for us to look at the latest numbers. I got the John Hopkins coronavirus research center here um, with the latest numbers. So the total confirmed cases in the world right now is at 1.8 million, almost 1.9. So we got 1.9 million across the, across the world. Now 568,000 in the United States that, that far exceeds all of the other numbers, except a little asterisk next to China because those, you know, those people are not reporting the right sure. numbers. They reported zero. Yeah, they, they were, they were reporting zero new cases in China, which zero yeah. people like I've seen like New York times, all the different media outlets saying that the U S far exceeds all other uh, case numbers in the world. And China's now reporting zero new cases. I'm just like, you're being a blatant mouthpiece to the Chinese Communist Party. You you actually believe that China has zero new cases? Dude, after they were silencing whistleblowers when this thing first started to get out, they, they, they first discovered this thing in December, and they started having whistleblowers start to blow the whistle on this virus. And uh, these guys, we don't know where they go. <laughs> we don't know if they're dead or just being held in a prison, but they just disappear like these doctors. Oh, they're dead. Yeah, these doctors are gone. Um, These original whistleblowers. And then China starts to say, well, yes, we have this virus, but it's not human-human to trans... It's not human-human transmission. So there's nothing to worry about. Meanwhile, Taiwan is like, no, this thing is human-human to transmission. We've got proof that this is real. And um, it's just been a huge just cluster. So... Like as I said, 1.9 million confirmed cases in the world, 570,000 in the United States. Um, far and away, the, the the most cases, the kind of epicenter in the United States has been New York. I know the last I've heard that they're tr- they're trending down, which is good. Um, it's a lot of their initial expectations of this thing and and the numbers coming out and and the different graphs and charts were saying that boy, New York was, was going to be really hit hard. The, the, the hospitals were going to get flooded and, uh, to an extent they have been, but uh, from recent reports, I've seen that they're actually doing fairly well. Um, yeah. And then that's the thing. Well, it was nice to see. It was nice to see that no one in America has died from coronavirus for lack of care. Like no one has had to, they have not had to ration anything. It's, it's almost like our healthcare system is, pretty pretty okay it's it's uh it's definitely it's definitely better well and that that's another topic that's like um you know the likes of like bernie sanders and the democratic socialists were kind of pushing this saying like look this is a reason why we would need um universal health care is because one the, the the government there is one truth that the government completely flopped on on the testing and the CDC and the WHO completely flopped on their recommendations i mean you and i were talking before the show about how the CDC and WHO and the FDA all completely flopped on this you know the CDC saying that uh, recommending that people don't 
wear masks. They don't do anything when every scientific study out there says that, I mean, you could wrap a t-shirt around your face. It's not, it's not going to be a perfect protection, but it does something. It does something. It stops some droplets from getting in. Um, so, and now they've completely flip-flopped. Now the CDC says, yes, masks do work and you should wear a mask if you go outside. But right here, I've got a reason article. Um, This says the CDC and the FDA wrecked the economy. It says public officials across the United States are flying blind against the COVID-19 epidemic because of a government engineered testing fiasco that they do not, uh, that they do not know how fast the virus is spreading, how many people were infected by it and how many will die as a result or how many have developed immunity to it. The failure to implement early and wide testing, which caused by a combination of short sightedness ineptitude and bureaucratic, um, negligence, left politicians scrambling to avoid a hospital crisis by imposing broad business closure and stay-at-home orders. The initial outbreak of COVID-19 in Wuhan, China, was reported at the end of December, and the first case in the United States was reported on January 20th, by which time it seems likely that many other Americans were already infected. At first, the U.S. Center for Disease Control and Prevention monopolized COVID-19 tests. And when the CDC began shipping tests uh, to the state laboratories in early February, they turned out to be defective. So this is the whole thing. It's like Jeez. they sent out millions of tests and these tests were n- bunk. They didn't work. And, right. I, well, how many fa- false positives did they get? That was the thing. Like, yeah, I don't, that, that number I haven't been able to find because they sent out all these tests and then they had to tell them to return the test because they had to redo the test and fix it. <laughs> Meanwhile, they completely locked it down to where private uh, labs could not assess, like they couldn't have access to um, the scientific studies developed to see how far the virus had progressed and to develop testing kits. So the FDA and the CDC completely blocked all of those acts or the ability to develop new test kits. And the only reason why um, cities started to test on their own, Seattle was the first city to develop its own tests. And they went and it's because they went rogue. They completely ignored the CDC and FDA regulations and guidelines. And they just said, we're just going to develop the test kits and start testing people. We're doing doing it it anyway. We're breaking the red tape. It's crazy because, you know, you think about the CDC, the WHO, and it's like, you have one job, and that is to make sure that we don't have a global pandemic. <laughs> the World Health no. Organization and the Center like for Disease do, Control. Yeah, like you did not control that disease very well, and you did not keep the world healthy. Like, if that doesn't, it's crazy to me, and that was one of the things, like my frustration, I guess, with with Joe Rogan, and he even says I'm not a politician, I don't follow that stuff. But when he was, they asked him, you know, why he likes Bernie, and he said because he's consistent. And I was like, that is not a good reason. You can be consistently to, to, bad at something, like <laughs> you can be consistently yeah. wrong, like you know, and that it's I don't know that was frustrating, but it's the idea that this is a perfect example of why we need more control. We need single payer. Like, how did that work in Northern Italy? Did single payer did it did it save them? And it's like, you know, how how did these things work? Um, one of the things I'm I'm interested to see is how it changes our manufacturing, like our 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 um, shipping lanes and all that stuff, and how we, 
you know, instead of making everything in China, it's like maybe we should make some in Canada, some in some in the United States, yeah. and some in China. And that that way, if something happens, you can shut down Chinese factories and not destroy the world economy. Right. Um, you know, it's it it's interesting, but um, when I think about like the CDC and honestly. I this is one of the things that I do like the whole good Trump bad Trump thing. Like one of the things that I really really do like about Trump is the fact that now he's like something's wrong at the WHO. Mm-hmm. Like something something's really wrong there. We're going to take a look at it because we do a lot of funding and it's it's like yeah, they wouldn't even acknowledge the existence of Taiwan. <laughs> you saw I was going to ask if you saw that video. That was crazy. So f- it was insane. For those that don't know, you can you can look up the video on your own. You can just like Google search WHO official ignores Taiwan question, but it was this journalist on Skype and she asked if they would reassess um Taiwan joining the World Health Organization and being represented in the organization and and he was like, oh, I can't hear you. The connection's yeah, bad. Yeah, he was like, uh, I, I didn't hear your question. After a long pause, she waited. She was like, uh, hello? And he was like, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't I didn't hear your question. She goes, oh, no problem. I'll just repeat it. And he goes, no, no. We'll go on to another one. No, we'll... <laughs> and she goes, <laughs> yeah, no, wait, I, actually, I actually did want to ask you about Taiwan. And he hangs up on Skype. He hangs up. Yeah. Dude, what the crap? If, can you imagine if like you and your wife were in like in an argument and had a conversation and she says something to you and you're like, Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't hear you. And she's like, what I said was like, no, no, no let's move on. Next question. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I'm, I'm not interested in this conversation at all, So, but it's, it, it's wild. And, and for those that don't understand like the, the meaning behind that, like why that, why is Taiwan asking to be recognized by the world health organization? Well, China doesn't recognize Taiwan as a nation, as a country. So, and, and the World Health Organization has had many ties to the Chinese government. A lot of influence and money comes from the Chinese government. And so they've been Did you hear about why? What's that? So I didn't know the Belt Road Initiative. No. So you know what I'm talking about? The, so the, the, I think it's called Belt and Road Initiative for China. It's like their big push. One of the things that they're doing is they're, they're providing 5G, stolen 5G, stolen technology, but they're taking it to and offering it to these different countries at, you know, at discounted prices or saying like, for example, when I was in Mozambique, one of the things that they did with Mozambique is they stopped giving them cash and they started trading and building plants in Mozambique, but trading them for, with infrastructure and saying like, you know, instead of $5 million, we'll give you $5 million worth of roads or we'll give you $5 million worth of internet connections. Okay. I know you're talking about now. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. And so they're, they're helping these these nations that are, you know, third world nations to develop. So the World Health Organization, the main guy, the leader, whatever this dude's name is, he's from Ethiopia. Mm-hmm. China has unbelievable investments yes. in Ethiopia. And so it's it's not, they were saying that it may not be that, you know, he's bought off specifically, but he's under immense pressure to satisfy the Chinese because if they pull their investments, the Ethiopian economy will collapse. Right. The Ethiopian economy will collapse, and I believe I made just be talking out of my ass here, but I think that China can seize the 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 land that they've uh, like if they default over. It's not just like, hey, you owe us a bunch of money. I believe they can seize land as well in those types of deals. Yeah, they hate it. Um, A lot of the the people in Mozambique, you know, thought they were going to get the jobs. 
of, of a lot of these plants, yeah. and it ended up being people from China. And um, they, there's a lot of animosity, and I don't think people realize like this is like a thing that a lot of people don't talk about is how racist China is against black people. Yeah, like it's a it's a thing, it is. and it's it's one of the reasons like Hollywood doesn't they don't like to put in their big blockbuster action movies they don't like a black lead because it doesn't do well in the Asian market. <clears throat> doesn't do well in China. And have you seen that video where they're keeping black people out of the McDonald's in China? Uh, yes. I actually saw that. Dude, what in the yes. world? <laughs> it, that is insane. It is insane. That, and the thing is, and for, can you imagine if there was an, a, I mean, just imagine if there was, let's say a Starbucks that asked somebody to either buy something or leave. Like, oh, that would be a huge racist deal. Can you imagine if somebody stood at the front and was like, here's a sign. Yeah. That says no black people because we think you carry the virus. Yeah, right. Like what? I know. Like nobody wants nobody wants to talk about the like some of the craziness that comes out of China is, I mean it's bananas, man. It is. It's 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 really really wild. Of course, I mean, you've I've I've heard reports of even people you know crazy people here in the states like being racist against Chinese Americans, you know, just because they look Chinese or like they associate them with the virus and, and different things like that. So, I mean, it's just crazy all around, but the, the Chinese, I've not seen that, but I hear, I've heard it. I heard it parroted on the news. I've never, I've never seen anybody. Um, and I've never, I've the idea that somebody, I don't know for somebody to be that dumb, to be like, oh, you're Chinese. You're responsible. Oh, for I the absolutely virus. believe like, that people are that. You know, there's a group of people out there like, that are that dumb. I, I, it's like it's great. Like, no, they are yeah. here. They live in the same city right. you do, doing Go the same things you, you do. From. I'm from Los Angeles. Like, what? Yeah. I'm from Macon, Georgia. Yeah. <laughs> like, right. Oh man, there was a, a thing that uh, I'm trying to remember who was talking about, it, but they were saying like a lot of these like um, uh, Chinese restaurants and you know Japanese steakhouses are owned by Koreans. Huh? <laughs> they were like, they were like, you're you're being you're being racist against the wrong people, anyways. Right. They're like most like the most entrepreneurial people when it comes to Asians are Koreans, yeah. and they're like all these Asian steakhouses, like all these like Chinese steakhouses or Japanese steakhouses and Chinese places. Are like, man, that Chen's Walk is owned by a, a, a Korean. Yeah. and you're like, oh, <laughs> so it's like at the end of the day, God, we don't. We don't know anything anyways. Like to be racist against somebody, it's like it's like they did that little DNA profile in Central Park and where Ancestry did picked a hundred people yeah. and they asked them to they asked them to pair up with people who they thought were most like themselves. And then they gave them DNA tests and were like, actually, you're more like this person. You share more ancestry with this person. And it's like it's so stupid to look at somebody's complexion or skin tone or facial features and be like, Oh, you're this. Yeah. It's like, ah. Right. You have no idea. Yeah, like uh, I saw AOC um, tweet out about how the black um, uh, population in America have been um, affected to a greater extent than any other minority. And so it was like, it was such the like typical response. Like you look at something like a global pandemic and you, you find the needle in the haystack of any you're just searching for any kind of racism that you can find. But it was, uh, I saw sure. Michael Malice reply to her and he was like, what about the, uh, the yellow population? <laughs> He's like, I think it's disproportionately affecting, I don't know, the Chinese. 
<laughs> Dude, I love Michael Malice. Dude, he he's he's great, and he just pokes fun at the fact that like, look, you're using you're using racism to try and force some sort of agenda down people's throats, and it's just like you ignore Asian racism, racism, like with like the Harvard, oh, for the sure. Harvard admissions into college, for sure. like they completely discriminate against Asians, but they never never bring that up. As Thomas Sowell would say, the the uh, the bigotry of soft expectation or soft bigotry of lower expectations. That's what yeah. it is. Basically saying like, oh, they need help getting into college, and like, oh, we should penalize the Asians because they're too smart. And it's like, this is the soft bigotry of low expectations. Saying like, well, we're not really expecting a whole lot out of you. So when you when you do okay, if you get within four hundred of an Asian, <laughs> we're going to give you the same test yeah. score. It, it's like that that's that's still racism like that's very much it's so. not full racism it's definitely bigotry of some sort but yes i think they do you remember four like three or four or five years ago when we started saying things like man the look like the media is just a puppet for the liberal agenda or this or that they're dishonest or this or that and it's like i remember when they photoshopped george w bush out of that magazine and like that was the first time i remember thinking whoa that's crazy like that's you can't do that. Like you can't take a picture and like edit people out and then call it fact. Right. And that was that was like my first real oh wow, that's that's crazy. I feel like since since the virus situation, it's like the masks are just off. Yeah. Like it's it's so like now at this point we don't even like I um one of the things that I like that Shapiro said is if you think that Trump was the executioner of, of civility or civility um, he was actually the coroner. Yeah, he showed up. Right. It was it was already dead. Yeah. Like you know, the idea that we were all getting along and whatnot, and so for him to come out and be like, "Oh, this is fake. You guys are bad news. You guys are, you know, asking uh, incendiary questions for incendiary purposes." Mm-hmm. It's like you watch these press briefings, and um, the one person that asked them uh, they the question, the easy question, and then the other the other people wrote and said, "How did you help solve?" COVID-19 today. How did your question help uh, solve COVID-19? Did you hear about that? Yeah. In the, in that press conference, that one reporter asked like a softball question. And then afterwards, their peers were like, how dare yeah, you? Right. You know? And it's it's like, man, at this point, it's it's just, I don't know where it goes, but it's crazy because now when you hear from a source, anything I mean, literally anything like you masks help masks don't help. Right. You're like, eh, who said that? And I always think about the story. My grandfather, like this man's dog, he, he, uh, he bit somebody and he hurt this kid. And the owner of the dog said to my grandfather, he didn't mean to. He just got scared. And my grandfather said, did the dog tell you that? Right. And I'm, <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, and so now it's one of those questions of, did the internet tell you that? Did CNN tell you that? Did MSNBC tell you that? Did Fox News tell you that? Like, where did you hear that from? Right. And it's all it's all fun and games. It's funny to watch, you know, Trump, you know, trash CNN. It's it's okay to watch CNN. You know, Don Lemon loses marbles on CNN talking about how he's this or frustrated. But once a pandemic hits. We really need a spot that's like, hey, here's here's news. Like, actually, here's what you need to know. Like, let's forget all the other stuff. And we don't have it. And you can kind of see us as Americans kind of being like, 
what now what's the right thing to do how far is social distancing is a mask helping should we quarantine should we not am i being lied to when the cdc tells me you need to socially distance yourself or 200,000 people are going to die and they're going to die anyways anywhere from 100,000 to 200,000 and then a week later be like oh maybe 90,000 and then 4 days later be like up oh, 80 up oh, 60 up oh. yeah. and it's like and and masks help uh, and by the and way like, <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah and this and you're like what are you supposed to do as a normal, non-hateful American person who just wants to live your life and do your job and, and, and have enough money to go on vacation and like, just be a person? Yeah. It's, it's like, what, what outlet do you have? Who do you look to to tell you the truth? Because at this point, it, does it even exist? Well, you, you, you have know? to, you can't really look to anyone to tell you the truth. You have to f- try and do your best to find it yourself, make an educated guess on like different because who who's to tell who's to say that the numbers that are being provided are even accurate and and that's the thing about all these models with this covid-19 is they're all guesstimates like they they don't know and, and none of the models go into the fall um that that's that, that's, that's the other thing is like they have no idea what happens after september <laughs> no idea and i mean they don't know have no idea they have no idea what happens tomorrow much less after september in the fall like does this thing start to slow down which by all the numbers and projections are saying that it will slow down but it may come back in the fall and these these types of viruses have a nasty way of surviving and mutating so who's to say like we won't we probably have a different strain in the fall and, and that's the thing about this economic lockdown is like, when do people get to go back to work? When do you make it legal for people to try and survive by going back to work and earning money? It's like, if this thing is going to come back in the fall anyway, what have you done? What have you accomplished? You've accomplished virtually nothing. Yeah, that's the point where when people are like blasting each other on Facebook, like, guys, no one's taking this serious and I am. And I'm like, you... What's the point? Yeah. Like, I, and I'm not saying that we shouldn't. I'm just saying, are you aware that we may socially isolate? We may wreck the economy. We may drop 30, 40% in the stock market. We may lose, you know, have 30 million people on unemployment. And the reality is everybody gets it anyway. Yeah. Like right now, our healthcare facilities are not overrun. They're strained, but they're not, you know. And to uh, an extent, I'm sure or- the social distancing has helped with that. With the spread and everything, but you're absolutely right is we have no metric for success. It's just like, we don't really, there's no real way to know what the correct course of action is because we've never gone through anything like this. And we don't know. We're like, Hey, if we didn't shut everything down and we didn't implement social distancing, numbers may have skyrocketed and and things may have been overrun. We don't, we don't know. But what we do know is, is the results of the actions we have taken now. I mean, unemployment is skyrocketing and people that argue is like, hey, these social distancing laws and making it illegal for you to go outside and to go enjoy yourself and your life and go work is just like what those are. Those are there in place to save lives when I mean, unemployment has a very close um, correlation with suicide rates as the unemployment yeah. rate goes up. So do the suicides. So that's another thing is like you're affecting lives either way. It feels like we made a decision pretty quick. Like like you said, we weren't ready. We didn't do testing before. You know, the CDC, the Center for Disease Control, 
Like you control diseases was so far off base on this that literally they're like meteorologists at this point. They're like your local meteorologist. that's like, we have a 65% chance of rain tomorrow. And guess what? It doesn't rain. Yeah. And he's like, well, that's because this happened. <laughs> right. And it's like, it's like, you know, when, when Fauci gets up and he, this is the head of the center of disease control. Like he is the person. And he says, with social distancing measures, we should expect to see around 100,000 people dead by August, by 100,000 to 250. And we're like a quarter of a million people are going to be dead in the United States from in a this few disease in a few months. Holy crap. And then they come back literally seven days later and they're like, Oh, by the way, we think it's going to be (laughs) nine. Yeah, we think it's going to be ninety thousand. And that was like the the ventilators. They thought they were going to need what some like ninety thousand ventilators, and it turned into twenty thousand. And I'm just like, dude, y'all had no idea. And it turns out this. I mean, if we don't hit at least fifty thousand, and I'm not saying I want us to. I'm saying that if we don't, and it's less deaths than the flu. There's going to be a lot of people asking a lot of really hard questions like what what the crap just happened and why did it happen? Yeah. And if if everybody if if every leader from the WHO keeps their job, that organization is is a farce. And one of the things that you were saying is it's really hard to, you because you can't possibly know the counterfactual mm-hmm. of it had we not done anything. Mm-hmm. What would have what would have happened? Sweden is probably the only one that we really have kind of a control. Mm-hmm. To where they told their elderly, y'all stay inside and everybody else go get it. Mm-hmm. They've they've seen spikes, but we don't really know what it's what it's gonna look like yet. And the reality is we might have done all this for nothing. Well, maybe. And and there has to this has been my position is look, we needed to do something, obviously. You can't just let this thing run rampant. You gotta take measures to try and slow or prevent this thing from expanding at a faster rate. But there's got to be a better way than a nuclear option, a sledgehammer effort to just 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 completely take the economy and bust it into pieces and completely take things to a grinding halt to where we are seeing levels of unemployment that we have never seen before. The world has never seen before. And certainly our country has never seen before. And the economic we, we don't know what the consequences of these actions are going to be yet. We, we have no idea. I mean, the fed, yeah. the fed is loaning trillions and trillions and trillions of dollars to the banks every day to try and keep things afloat. And, and, and I mean, Trump orders this new 2.2. Well, it, it was new. It's fairly old. Now the $2.2 trillion stimulus package, that's just the one of many that are coming. And the thing about this, this, let me just rant on this $2.2 trillion spending package for a second, 300 billion of that only 300 billion goes to the stimulus checks. So a measly $1,200. That's like the, uh, I believe Thomas Massey said it was the cheese in the trap is what they, they offered you to, to shut up and take your money. Don't look, don't look at what else all these, uh, other large companies that were bailing out, giving money to the bankers, giving money to the airlines, all these different companies that were bailing out don't don't just look the other way it's it's unbelievable that they can claim that and every us senator and congresswoman and man voted to have that passed it's aoc bernie sanders all the ones that are against corporate big corporate bailouts you know they voted for the <laughs> they voted for it so they have no grounds to stand and, and 
and complain about this type of spending package when you vote on it. But it's just unbelievable that 2.2 trillion, we're bailing out banks again. We're bailing out industry just like 2008, except much worse than 2008. My only, my only difference with that is in 2008, it was, it was self-made, you know, like the banks did it. They did it to themselves. Now, granted, the government was making them do subprime loans and stuff, but the banks kind of had, they created their own fiasco. Like it was, the government had its hand in it, but the banks made it, made it a thing. Um, This, man, everybody was kind of chugging along. Like there were no like major, now maybe manufacturing and, and trade being centralized in China, you know, with China being a bad player. Okay, that was maybe always going to have some issues. Maybe some reckoning was coming with that. So, okay, I, I can get down with that. But as far as when the government comes along and wrecks the economy, I don't see it as a bailout in the sense that it's not like, well, you, you did it. So uh, you're not bailing me out of something that I, I did. You're literally trying to fix something that you did. Like the government came along and said, you cannot go to work. The government came along and said... You know, you can't paddleboard in on the Santa Monica <laughs> right. Pier by yourself. You know, like, they're the ones that came along and said that, so they are kind of responsible. Um, it is, it is twofold it was, to, to a degree. It is twofold because, yes, the government did wreck the take the economy to a grinding halt, but and it was the Fed policy for these big. They reward these big banks and these big companies to operate on a on a on a debt type of business infrastructure. So it's all about leveraging debt and going into debt and kind of leveraging that to your advantage. And these companies had zero savings at all. Like no company uh, that got bailed out was able to like a week after the economy went to a grinding halt, they said, we're not going to make it. You got to bail us out. And this is exactly what they did in 2008. It was like, they're operating on the same business model as they were before. They, they, it's because they're incentivized to do so because if they, they can take their money, make enormous profits, set nothing aside, operate on this debt-based business model. And then when they come to a crashing fall, the government goes and gives them trillions of dollars to bail them out. And then all these CEOs and all the big businesses get this huge pay raise and then this huge cash influx from the government doesn't make money, by the way, the government creates nothing. It takes what it gives away. So it's right. all taxpayer money. So we're paying for these bailouts for these airlines. And it's just like, what, what right do the, the airplanes are not going away. I believe it was Peter Schiff that said this, let the airlines go out of business. The airplanes don't right. disappear. What happens is some other investor comes up, buys up the assets, operates it in a cleaner, better way to make sure that he doesn't end up like the last guy. But, yeah, exactly. And, and operates a more effective business model. So I don't think most people understand because I didn't. I'm not. I'm not a smart person. I'm, I just try to pay attention to it a little bit. But I don't think most people understand how bankruptcy works. Like when when Boeing or when Delta goes under, it's not like they just take the planes and burn them. Right. Like some somebody is going to show up and say, "Hey, you owe." Two billion dollars in debt, you can't pay it. I'm going to settle it for 1.4 billion. Now I own Delta. Now I need to make sure that this doesn't happen to me, right. and I'm going to make a lot of money with you know with this situation. So, I you're right. I think that bankruptcy is a is almost a 
too big to fail type situation where they're they're terrified of what happens if they do let them fail. But why not, man? Like, see what happens. It's just they're get, they're getting us more and more into a mess. And so, like, we've had trillions of taxpayer dollars go into into the pockets of uh, government officials. Like, of course, I'm sure you've seen all the like little line items, like the twenty five million dollars going Ugh. to the Kennedy Center, and like they hide all these little line items in this two point two trillion dollar giant bill. They could have just had a bill, which is what Thomas Massey wanted, where he said, "Look, why don't we separate the actual checks that are going to individuals who need a cash." influx right now right why don't we create that as a separate bill and then have your corporate bailouts and your and your ceo they were like no separate one they're like nah nah you go away even trump put it off put it all together trump was like this guy's the worst he needs to get out of the republican party (laughs) and good luck in your re-election it's uh you know what's uh, what's interesting to me i have two actually i have two questions for you um what is the libertarian response to the corona situation? Do you think the government should have taken as much um, as much action as they did, as as much authoritative, top down control? Well, no, never, never that much. Uh, what I do agree with is individuals exercising the correct actions. As far as you should, you should social distance. You should try and prevent you know, uh, too close interaction with people as this super infectious virus is going around. I think there are measures that you could take to, as you said, with Sweden, they took the most vulnerable people and, and exercise the most precaution with those specific individuals. Now making it illegal for someone to go to work, who's perfectly healthy. And by all accounts, if they do get sick, it's going to be fairly mild or just completely asymptomatic up to upwards to 50% of people who get this don't even know that they have it. They're just shedding the virus and they show no symptoms whatsoever. So they're completely making it illegal for individuals to go and work and they're destroying livelihoods and they're sending someone a $1,200 check that won't even cover rent for a a majority of people. What, what, what is that? It is nothing. We wrecked, we wrecked your life. Here's 1200 bucks. And, And who's to know how many small businesses are going to be completely erased because of all of this. It's completely devastated lives already, and it's not even done yet. And we don't know the economic yeah. toll of all of these trillions being pumped in. Trump wants to do another trillion, $2 trillion for infrastructure. Like this isn't the, the only bill that's going to pass for coronavirus relief. And, and, and these, so the, the libertarian response, I guess, to get back to your question would be, no, the government's telling you, no one's allowed to tell you that it's illegal for you to go and put bread on your table. It's it's not that no one has that job to tell you that it's illegal to go and work and provide for your family. I think you should. You saw um, businesses like Publix. I have a Publix right behind my house. Publix, the free market finds ways in a, pan, in a pandemic right. situation to kind of provide safety measures for its uh, for its customers because Publix wants customers it Publix wants people to come and shop at their store but they understand that people want to take social distancing correct and you're talking about Home Depot they they separate you in six feet increments they make sure not too many people are in the store at the same time Publix opens up at completely separate hours for seniors and those with uh, medical um, uh, medical needs those are that are more, more vulnerable 
So the free market finds ways to adopt to a pandemic type of situation because they still need to operate, but they understand the safety concerns that the public has. So there are efforts that you can make without complete government and control and sledgehammer efforts to try and fix something. Yeah, it does seem a little bit sledgehammery, especially because like uh, Dan Crenshaw was saying, like Texas doesn't really have, you know, they haven't really been hit by the virus. Uh, you know, it's so for them to be under the same protocols as San Francisco, New York, and New Orleans, places that have been hit, it's, it's kind of silly. But it, everybody's kind of, you know, in the absence of information, everyone just kind of panics. But that seems to be the MO of bad legislation. Yes. Never let, never let a, um, a crisis go to waste. Never let a crisis go to waste. That's, Wasn't that Rahm Emanuel? Uh, Wasn't that Rahm Emanuel, Obama's that, guy? I forget who that that quote actually came from, but it, it's a great quote. It's the government never lets a crisis go to waste. They never do. They didn't in nine eleven, and we still have we are still are feeling the effects of nine eleven and the and the government control that they yeah. took during that time, and we're gonna feel the effects of the control that they've taken. Who we are not gonna have a. There is no returning back to normal. After this, there's no way there's no returning back to normal after this. There will be some sense of normalcy where you'll be able to eventually go back to work, but there is no sense of normal the, the the completely they've completely redrawn the lines of what the government is able to do during a time of crisis. They completely shut down the entire economy for one. That's never been done before to take it to a grinding halt. And do you think it's do you think that we've survived things like this before though like the the suspension of habeas corpus and I mean there's been some wild times where we've done some pretty crazy things and then been able to kind of come back. I mean look at the 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 policies and agendas of the 60s and 70s and then you get the Reaganomics just the goes all the way back. I mean do you think I mean we have Edward Snowden, we have the NSA. Remember Obama was like it's just metadata. And it's like, no, it's not. They're literally reading your emails and listening to your phone right. calls. Like it's 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 not just metadata. But we get that it takes us 10, 15, 20 years, but we kind of start getting it figured out to say, like, hey, wait a minute. Like there's a VPN on my phone. The free market is able to say, like, hey, do you want to not have your stuff be tracked? Hundred dollars a year. And it's like, okay, so there's things that you can do to kind of you know, for the free market to mitigate and push back against some of the sweeping stuff. I mean, yeah, we're seeing it right now and the debt's going to be crippling, which kind of brings me to my second question. And that is, so Elizabeth Warren has basically like an eternal debt theory that it's the idea is you can float debt indefinitely and it's, it's something that you trade and move around, but it's part of it. So this idea of, you know, Oh, we're 20 trillion in debt. Like, well, it could be a hundred trillion. doesn't matter. And I'm like, Mm. I'm unfa- I'm unfamiliar with this, yeah. right? Like that doesn't work. For, that doesn't work for me personally. That, that's how it works like, with her two penny plan, right? It's only two the, pennies, and we can fund everything from everybody. But the point that the point that they had or that they made was this: that you're you're basically looking at, let's say, China owes us, or sorry, we owe China ten trillion, and they call us on the debt. They want their ten trillion, or they're not doing business with us anymore. And it's like, okay, or they're going to up their prices. And so now we can't or we don't, the, the free market doesn't want to afford whatever they're making. 
Well, it collapses their own economy. Mm-hmm. And so it's almost like at some point, debt is, it's just a figurative number. And I get it, they're like they're real dollars, but at some level they're not. And so like I'm unfamiliar with it. I just I didn't know if that was a, a, a something that you were hip to, but somebody mentioned it the other day on a podcast, and I was like, "Wait, now what? Now like <laughs> eternal debt theory?" I'm uh I'm not entirely familiar with the eternal debt theory. I haven't. That's actually the first time I've heard of that. The thing I'm afraid of. I could have made that term the, up. The thing I'm afraid of is just the inflation numbers that are going to happen through all of this. Uh, inflation's a very real thing. Hyperinflation is a very real thing. Uh, we've seen the results of that. I mean, look at Venezuela. Uh, we've seen the results of hyperinflation uh, just recently. And so that's something that I'm most concerned about. As far as like, there is another thing where, yes, the free market can provide solutions for these kind of government overreaches into privacy. Like you said, you can get a VPN on your phone and stuff like that. But when you have these large corporate conglomerates like Google, partnering with the u.s government to to give data like there's articles that i've seen um within the last two days about how google is using their google and facebook are using like tracking data or they're proposed to use tracking data to cover like coronavirus spread like are people obeying the self-quarantine yeah that was terrifying yeah are people obeying the quarantine so like what do you do there there's really like we're not living in we're really not living in a free market. We're living in a in a crony capitalist corporatist system where the big tech companies have enormous leverage and enormous data over the people, and then government latches on to that like a leech, and they come together in this kind of fascistic system to where you have big government and big corporations owning control over the population and, and privacy. So you can have some sort of vpn system but when everything is ate up by these large corporations and and the the american people are or these corporations are protected by the government with regulations to eliminate competition and keep them at the top it's a it's a complete mess that we're in yeah i um i don't know that's it gets so big i don't disagree i just it's so complex (laughs) it's so complex and big that you're like Jeez, man! Like for the average person who just wants to, you know, enjoy their life, it's it's so it's overwhelming to be like, well, there's there's a lot of moving parts here. Yes. Well, I, I since to get into something in a little more bite size for us, uh, let's move on to another topic that I definitely wanted to get your thoughts on, and that is that Bernie Sanders has suspended his presidential campaign. And has officially officially endorsed Joe Biden on a live stream, nonetheless. So Joe Joe Biden live stream, which I can only imagine how that live stream went with a man like that fumbling over his words. But let's take a listen to Bernie Sanders offering his endorsement to the establishment, which he claimed he was fighting. The clock is ticking. We don't have a moment to waste in combating the climate crisis. It's existential threat to us. In short, we need to build a fair, more inclusive, more resilient America. And with that in mind, I'd like to welcome to this conversation a leader who shares those values and has been an outspoken advocate for that vision for a long time. My friend, Senator Bernie Sanders. Bernie, welcome. 
Joe, thank you very much for your remarks, and thank you for welcoming me uh, to your live stream here. Um, as you've indicated, we are living in an unbelievably unprecedented moment. You and I were chatting a few months ago, not in a million years, would we have believed that we would be talking to each other in our respective homes, that we could not... Talking you know, each other through these magic television screens. Uh, get out of the house. Uh, <laughs> we would not have believed uh, that we'd be looking not only at a pandemic, which, as you indicated, has taken over 20,000 lives in our country, half a million people infected, uh, but has cost us 16 million jobs. And that's probably a conservative number. The real number is probably higher than that. So we are in a terrible moment, an unprecedented moment, and I know we share the, the understanding that we've got to go forward right now and out of this in an unprecedented way uh, to address the terrible pain that so many of our fellow Americans are feeling. So today I am asking all Americans, I'm asking every Democrat, I'm asking every independent, I'm asking a lot of Republicans to come together in this campaign to support your candidacy, oh. which I endorse, to make certain that we defeat somebody who I believe, and I'm speaking just for myself now, uh, is the most dangerous president in the modern history of this country. So there it is. Bernie Sanders offering his endorsement to Joe Biden, the, the giant Joe Biden, the monster that'll take down Trump. <laughs> <laughs> who can't is anybody surprised it's, i mean it literally is anybody surprised anymore like if it had been elizabeth warren after they were did you call me a liar i think you just called me a liar and that's like it, it's as soon as somebody gets it they're gonna be like oh yeah nope we're friends now yeah it's like and that's that's the whole thing that makes everybody i don't know and that's one of the reasons i kind of like trump was like, nah, dude doesn't like certain people and he likes other people and like and that's who he is. He's not gonna like He's a fighter. Pretend. People like a fighter, and Bernie Sanders does not have a spine. He claims you cannot have a rev a political revolution and not be able to call out the, your so called political enemy. You can't. It it I don't know. That's that's one of those things where like, of course he did. He did the same thing he did in twenty sixteen. Yeah, it's he endorsed the establishment that he claimed he was fighting. Dude. The Bernie Bros are livid. Yeah, they they are on. they are trashing him on Twitter right now. Actually, sorry, sorry, Bernie is trending on Twitter right now, and it's just a bunch of people saying, "Sorry, Bernie, I'm not voting for a, uh, a potential rapist because of Joe Biden's recent rape allegations." Um, as well as like, "Sorry, by Joe or sorry, uh, Bernie, I'm not voting for Joe because he's the establishment that is the enemy." Which, that's correct. Yes, the Democratic and a Republican establishment are the enemies. That's like what you, that's one thing that I admired about Bernie Sanders is he, I don't agree with his solutions, but he diagnoses a lot of real problems. That's one thing sure. that Bernie Sanders is consistent with, is diagnosing real right. problems, but having terrible solutions to them. So that's one thing that I admired Bernie about Bernie. But what I don't admire is someone limp-wristed and jello-spined as Bernie Sanders to claim he's leading a political revolution against the establishment and the 1%, you know, and meanwhile, dropping out of the race and endorsing so-called establishment and 1%. It's, it's completely right. 
corrupt. My friend. My friend, Joe Biden. Like, oh, y'all are friends oh, now? Friends. Oh, that's nice. Didn't you, I like, he was, ra- I thought didn't you rag on him for voting for the war in Iraq that killed millions of Iraqis? Like, make up your yeah. mind. What do you believe in? Thought he was the enemy. Yeah. But that's but that's the whole point, man, is that it's it's so confusing now that you you don't really know you don't really know what's real when it comes to all that stuff. If anything. Right. If any of it's real. You know, it's like of course he came out and was like, Yeah, I endorse you know. Like, yeah, well that makes sense. <laughs> I was gonna ask you this. I wanna ask you this, like and I don't wanna get off the no, go, the topic go or change it, but uh did you throw money in the stock market when it went down? I did. Yeah, I did. What were your what were your, what what were your favorite picks? I bought some tech. Uh, I bought some tech stocks, um, as well as some crypto. I bought some crypto. Yeah. I put some money in crypto, and then um, I'm gonna actually buy some more, like you know, Microsoft or Apple. I I don't know if the um I was looking at just I actually looked at this today. The, the, I was like curious about like how far the cruise line industry stocks had dove <laughs> and like they, yeah. they are at like garbage level, trash level entry prices right now. I'm like, ah. yeah, I'm in, I'm in those. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, uh, I'm in I, those. uh, I might want to buy some of those. I don't know if they're going to age well or if like, I, I mean, they, they've canceled. I know like carnival has canceled all trips until like j- mid to end June and, yeah. They have, they're under no sale orders, but I, I imagine that they're going to start as people start to take vacations and, and travel more, <laughs> they're going to continue to rise. So I'll probably get well, into I, some of that just to see. I tried to, I tried to, to think through and I, I met with my financial advisor from Northwestern Mutual and I was just like, you know, what, what do you think is the biggest area for growth? And uh, he was like, you know, I've talked to a bunch of different people and he's, he, they were on a conference call with, with investors in the Southeast and he was just saying that. Um, he's like, well, what do you think is going to be the biggest boom? And it's going to be as soon as people are allowed to go out, it's going to be entertainment. Mm-hmm. It's going to be outings and entertainment. It's restaurants. It's going to be the chains, the restaurant chains that just got slammed right yeah. now, but that aren't going anywhere. You know, Applebee's can board itself up for six months and eat it and then pop back up. Yeah. You know, they've they've got that kind of capital. Like a nasty weed you can't get rid of. <laughs> exactly, man. Those chicken fingers ain't going nowhere. Yeah. And uh, but those types of things, uh, WME, I think it's World Media something, or it's I could be saying it wrong, but it's it's basically a media conglomerate. I didn't even know that they're the ones that manage Joe Rogan as well. Oh, and interesting. So all these, yeah, they're a conglomerate of like live shows, uh, some casino stuff, I think, and so all those venues that just got hammered. Mm-hmm. I was like, there was like 15 stocks to choose from. And I was like, uh, like McDonald's is one, mm-hmm. you know, like that's a, that's a good one. And McDonald's is always safe because they own their real estate, mm-hmm. you know? So like you're, you're always going to be okay there. So they got slammed. You think McDonald's in a year isn't going to be right back where they right. were, you know? So like for me, I was, I was scrambling to get my hands on some cash to, to get it into the market. Mm-hmm. Cause I'm like, look. When when will you ever see a black swan event like this that is literally going to crash the economy forty percent in six weeks? <laughs> That's like, true. Of course, I'm sure a like lot of people, people in 2008 were saying the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's like you know, but the, so like Warren Buffett. They asked Warren Buffett, "How much money did you lose in 2008?" He said zero dollars. I didn't sell anything. Yeah, right. 
And I'm you and lose so money I might if you yeah. Yeah, if you don't have to sell, and it kind of comes down to this, and this is why you should listen to my podcast about with with the money, dude. Not not all the listeners. I'm talking to Keaton specifically. <laughs> By the way, everyone should check out Bell House Chats, Matt's podcast. <laughs> it's mediocre at best, but the conversation with him, it the thing that changed my, and you probably know this, but the thing that changed my thought pattern on investments was the difference between a stock versus a financial product. Like, what's the difference in a financial product versus buying stocks in the stock market? And once once you kind of understand that, that I can buy stock or I can buy $8,000 worth of shares in a financial product, and that financial product is made up of multiple shares. It's made up of, you know, McDonald's, the cruise line. So you're you're not just in one. You don't have to pick a winner. You, you pick you know, 15 different stocks or 15 different idea, you know, that you like. So that, that helped me a lot being a younger dude. I'm only 35 mm-hmm. being able to say like, okay, I'm kind of new to the market. The reality is this. Do you think that you can leave that money in for 10 years? Can you live without it for 10 years? Like, of course. Can you live without it for five years? Of course. Do you think that the market is going to stay where it is for 10 years it's like no, we're gonna boom at least at some point, yeah. even if we have a you know three year lull. But the idea that you could get in, like this was almost you know what it was? It was almost like had you bought stock before Trump became president, right? You know, like it, like when Obama was there at nineteen thousand, and everyone was saying like if Trump gets elected, like uh, Mark Cuban, freaking idiot, he was like if Trump gets elected, just Google. Trump election stock market crash. You'll literally get all these economists being like, if he's elected, the stock market is going to tank. And it's like, and everybody, a lot of people stayed out because they were terrified. But it was like, that would have been a good time to get in. But if you did not, holy crap, man, now's a really good mulligan. You know, like, hey, the, the opportunity to get back in at a lower price. And everybody always says like, what's the trick to the stock market? Like, oh, you sell high and buy low. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, when it's low, you got to go. Right. Like, you got to buy. You got to do it. And, like, That's right. and everyone's like, oh, I don't know. And it's like, it is down. Get in there. And so, I don't know, me being a young dude, I'm like, if I lose my shirt, Did it he happens. say anything about like gold or like precious metals or? <laughs> yeah, I asked him about that. And he was saying that, and it was very brief, but it was basically along the lines of like, that's the thing that you, when you get old. He's like, the older you get, the more you want to rely on, you start diversifying out. Safe money. Right? Like, yes. And he was saying like, you know, if you were 60 years old, he's like, what I would be telling you to do is to stay in right now into into some industries like uh, tech stocks and things like that until it rebounds and then we'll phase you out. And so like one of the cool things about having an investor that that helps in a time like this is for someone to say, hey, what's your window? Because my mom's window is very different than mine. You know, she has a a very different window and has a lot more money than I do. And so for her, the financial plan to say, hey, let's get you in to some of these stocks we know that are like McDonald's. McDonald's ain't full. They're taking a a beating right now, but they're you have a chance to legit make 20%, 25% on your money. And it's like, get your money in there. And then in five years, or let's say it booms right back. Let's say in a year and a half, they're right back where they were. Get out. Yeah. And then once once you're in your mid, like once you're 60, 
then start getting into gold. And he was like, the only time I put young people really into precious metals is if they're nervous. He's like, you know, if they really want secure money that it's not going to move. But he said, now's a terrible time to buy gold. Really? It's up because it's up. Well, yeah, right. It's it's yeah. up. It's like it it it's it's uh, gold is expensive yep. right now because it it's secure. And he's like, so now's a terrible time to buy gold if you were trying to make money on right. it. And so it, it it depends on what your goals. And this is the thing that he just keeps telling me, like your time in the market. And that's he goes back to Warren Buffett. How much money did you lose in the 2008 stock crash? And he says, I didn't lose anything because I didn't sell anything. Mm-hmm. So like the worst people right now are the people that had money in the stock market that are losing their stuff and they're having to pull their money out of the stock market to make payments on things. They are getting absolutely crushed by people like me who are literally pulling money out of savings accounts and putting it in to go in to go into the right. market. Like, you know, are you in a are you in a bad situation? You know, there's winners and losers in every market. And so if you have liquid right now, and like Shapiro said it, he was like, the real winners of this market are people 25 to 40 who have cash. He's like, because if you can get in and leave it for five or 10 years, of course you're going to make money. Yeah. And, so, and, and so for me, dude, I was looking, trying to sell my truck, pull the equity out of my house. Like I literally was thinking like, you're going to make at least 20, 25% on this, mm-hmm. if not 40 and so it just depends on, you know, what, what financial product you buy and how long you're going to stay in. But, um, man, I don't know. I, it just seemed like a mulligan to me. I, I, I got almost giddy to be like, it's down to 19. <laughs> like, yes, I'm in, you know? And so like, I sat down with, with Caleb, my Northwestern mutual guy. and was like, Hey man, let's, here's the cash. He was like, I'm going to hold it for four more days. Cause I want to see what's going to happen with this announcement or whatever. And he had uh, two positive days in a row, and he was like, "I think he's like, I think we found either the bottom or close to it. I don't think it's going to go much further than it has. I think it's it's reacted the way it's going to, and so like having that helps a ton yeah. because for me, I don't know, you know, I don't know what to look for. He's able to meet with seasoned investors that are talking to people in New York that are like, "Hey, wait, wait, two more days, you know, mm-hmm. like just just hang tight, just a second on Monday. If it's up on Monday, we're going in." And so, you know, there's, there's financial controllers that are controlling $20 million of people's assets in there. Um, you know, another cool thing I learned is this, uh, you know, I learned obviously about fiduciary responsibilities and you can look that up if you don't know what that is, but just the idea that you have to do well for somebody else, you have to look out for their best interest, but it's the idea that you are buying into a controlled portfolio of people whose money is in that portfolio. Mm. For example, like I have to be invested in the things that I am recommending to you. Right. Right. And so having somebody that you know is in it with you, that you're buying financial products, like I'm buying 15 into 15 tech companies. I'm not buying into Amazon. Yeah. You know, I'm not, I'm not riding the roller coaster. I'm, I'm riding a roller coaster, but it's less bumpy, Mm -hmm. you know, and and it all goes to your risk tolerance, you know? And so my, my side hustle is, putting a thousand dollars in TD Ameritrade and see what happens. You know, mm-hmm. that's the scary one. Yeah. <laughs> that's, the, <laughs> that's the scary ones. I tell you the most scared you'll ever be in your entire life is when you, uh, you buy penny stocks. They're not even on the stock exchange. You got to go to the separate exchange yep. for that. Yep. But you can, you can buy into some like really crappy companies and lose everything really quickly. Yes. Dude, when I first moved to Jacksonville and I didn't have a job, that's what I did to make money. <laughs> I joined, <laughs> I joined a trading group and they talked about penny stocks and like, I 
I made Dude, you can make some incredible you can you can make some incredible money because they move so like if you think about this like what's a Berkshire um, stock at right now three hundred and eighty seven thousand yeah, dollars per per share something like that I mean it's literally like double my right. house right it's for a share um, and then you have things like Bank of America I don't know where it is now but it it was at like nineteen I think when I sold it five six years ago whenever um, anyways the uh, the idea that. Of percentages, if if Bank of America goes from sixteen to twenty, you make, or let's say fifteen to twenty, you make twenty percent, mm-hmm. right? Like that's really that's really, really good. good. But if you buy in at a penny stock and it's at thirty seven cents and it goes to sixty seven cents, yeah. you made a you made a oh, like ninety something percent, you <laughs> yeah. know? And it's like like whoa, this is like you can make crazy crazy margins, but it also can go from thirty seven cents to five yes. cents. To zero, yeah, you got to be careful. I, I'm not recommending anybody get into penny stocks because that that is littered with a bunch of just trash companies that are just there to like oh, make yeah. money. <laughs> so, oh yeah, it is a dirty, dirty thing. Well, Matt Bell, I had a blast talking to you. I think we're gonna wrap it up here. We just crossed over about a little over an hour, but it's always a blast talking to you. And thank you everybody for listening to another episode of Freedom Ships. I will be more consistent. You will hear me more. I'm going to try and come out with an episode a week now. So you'll at least hear me consistently an episode a week. I'm going to try and make that my goal. Again, uh, thank you to the We Are Libertarians Network. If you haven't listened to them, go over, give them a listen, give them a like on their Facebook page. Also, check out Bell House Chats, Matt Bell's podcast. Lots of interesting conversations going on there. We'll see you all in the next episode. Peace. Peace.